we're told that that is no longer a recession. That now we're going to find it differently. And we're going to lie about it. And of course, we're going to lie about inflation. You know, the thing is, is that is it's always an established fact that everybody's known from the beginning of the world that when you have deficit spending, you're going to get inflation. And uh, the White House doesn't seem to figure that out, and the uh, Democrats, and they just want to do more and more spending and then wonder where the inflation comes from. Well, they want to ignore the laws that, that God has set up, and God has set up these laws of how economies work, and uh, that's how it is, no matter how much they lie about it. Well, today we want to look at the Christian and his government, <clears throat> and uh, here we're still in July, and July is the month of July 4th, Independence Day. Summer is the time of talking about patriotism. We have July 4th, Memorial Day, Flag Day. Anybody able to tell me what day is Flag Day? Good, good. Flag Day is 14th of June. I hope you all flew your flags that day. I remembered at about 5 o'clock in the afternoon to fly mine. But anyway, so we have these patriotic mine. But anyway, so we have these patriotic holidays. And so we ought to have a, a sermon having to do with the government and uh, patriotism and things like that once in a while, and especially in the summertime. I preached on one of these things in Marcus Hook a while back, and a lady was visiting there, and she came up to me afterward, and she was just dumbfounded that I would talk about things like that in the church, that, uh, that I should talk only about how to get saved, and that's about it, I guess. But you know, we've got to preach the whole counsel of God, and the whole counsel of God has something to say about the Christian and his government. So let's go to Romans 13. Romans 13. And we want to see today, more or less, the scriptural basis for the American Revolution for July 4th. You know, those were good Christians, most of them, many of them, in the American Revolution, and yet they revolted against their government. Let's go to Romans chapter 13 and verse 1. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God, and the powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. Let's bow in prayer, O Lord, we pray that thou would bless as we study thy word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So here we have uh, the beginning of this scripture talking about the Christian and his government. This is scripture. It tells us how to act. Bible, the Bible talks about every aspect of life. And the Christian and his government is no different. Well, here it talks about the institution of government. The first thing this passage talks about is that God is against anarchy. Anarchy is about the worst thing that you can have. And you know, today they have all that defund the police. Get rid of the police. What a great idea to get rid of the police. Well, what are you going to have then? You're going to have anarchy. Uh, one of my, my, in, uh, one of my um, nieces is married to a police officer in Ohio, 
and he was down at the wedding in Florida. I asked him about that, and he, he didn't have much to say except that he said that if he goes to the next door neighbor and robs them, nobody can say anything if there's no police. And that's how it is. And so this, this passage has to do with anarchy. God is a God of order, and he's not a God that has anarchy. Anarchy is the very worst thing that you can have. Ira has been reading through Judges recently, and she's been noticing there that every man did that which was right in his own eyes. It was chaotic back in the time of Judges, and that's what you have without order in government. So God is for order. God is for the rule of law. And God wants order in the universe. And you know, there's been uh, some Christians down through history that said, oh, we have no king but King Jesus. And we're not going to obey any earthly government. We're just going to obey the church and King Jesus. Well, God has instituted civil government, and we're supposed to obey it. But how far does that obedience go? That's the question. And here we have these first two verses of Romans 13. It seems to indicate that when the government says jump, you don't argue with that. You just say how high. And so you obey everything they tell you to do. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. And so a lot of Christians have come to these scriptures and they've decided that all we do is obey the government no matter what. And they say that the American Revolution was wrong. That they should have obeyed King George. They should have obeyed everything. They shouldn't have rebelled. And of course they say the Civil War was completely wrong for the rebels in the South and all that. But let's look into this a little bit. Let's go back to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5 and verse 25. Acts chapter 5 and verse 25. And you know, we have to interpret Scripture by Scripture. How do you know what a part of Scripture means? Well, you have to look at what the other things in the scriptures teach. And so here we have Acts chapter 5 and verse 25. Then came one and told them, saying, Behold, the men whom ye put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should have been stoned. And when they had brought them, the apostles there, they set them before the council and the high priest and asked them, saying, Did not we straightly command you that ye should not teach in this name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other, other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. So here we have the apostles back at the beginning of the church, right after Jesus. And we got Peter and the others. And they're, they're here in Jerusalem. 
And the council in Jerusalem was the government of Jerusalem. It was the government. And the council there told them not to preach. And they had put the apostles into prison. And, but the apostles were out after that preaching. And they were disobeying what the council told them to do. They were disobeying it. And of course, they could have said, well, you know, I don't really have to preach all the time. You know, I can uh, preach in my home, or I, I don't really have to go out in public and preach all the time, so we can just obey this. But they didn't say that. They said, we ought to obey God rather than men. It's just like with the shutting down of the churches here in America with COVID. You know, a lot of the churches shut down, most all of them. They shut down and they said, well, we don't have to go to church every week, you know, and if there's an emergency, we really don't have to have church and all those things. But you know, we can't have our churches shut down by the government for any reason whatsoever, emergency or not emergency. But anyway, the apostles right here, they said we ought to obey God rather than men. And notice the council said, we commanded you not to preach. But they disobeyed that. And they stood right up to the council and said that they were going to disobey it. So what we see as a principle here in the book of Acts is there are limits to the amount of obedience we give to the government. There's a limit to it. There has to be a limit to it. There is a limit here. Here the apostles did not obey everything the government told them to do. They did not obey it. And they stood on it. They doubled down on it. And so there are times when we disobey the government, possibly. There are possibly times when we disobey the government. There are limits to what the government can demand. Did you know that there are limits to just about every authority in the world? Not limits to God's authority, but you know, there are limits in the church. The elders and the pastor, they just can't do just whatever they feel like doing. There's limits. Limits to what they can expect the congregation to obey. There are limits in the family. You know, the parents have the jurisdiction over the children, but there are limits to that. If the father wants to kill his children, should he be allowed to do that? No. If he wants to abuse them, no, he shouldn't be allowed to do it. There are limits to it. There are limits to the husband's authority over the wife in the home. There are limits. And there are limits with the government. And that's the clear principle right here. Now the question is, where do you draw the line? Where is the limit of our obedience? Well, let's go back to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13 and verse 3. Romans chapter 13 and verse 3, it says, For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. 
But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger, to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore ye must needs be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. Now, I think right here we have the limit, the line. And the limit is, when it talks about here, he is the minister of God to thee for good. And when the government has completely stopped being the minister of God to thee for good, then you may rebel against it. And that's what the people that set up the U.S. government, that set up the Constitution, that signed the Declaration of Independence, they all believed that, even though they were Christians. And they believed that King George over in England had stopped being a minister of God to them for good. And in the Declaration of Independence, the Declaration of Independence is mostly just a list of grievances. Grievances against King George in England. And it tell, tells about how he quartered soldiers in the homes, he put oppressive taxes, he did this, he did that. And they talk about that they had a long train of abuses. And after that long train of abuses, finally the colonists drew the line that he is no longer a minister of God to us for good. He has become a minister of God or a minister for evil. And so that's, and of course, where do we draw that line? Well, each one of us has to draw that line in our own conscience. And we all, maybe all together, we draw that line of whether they're a minister of God to us for good. And someone will object, oh, well, don't you know that this was written during the time of the Roman Empire? And the Roman Empire persecuted Christians. And what about that? Well, number one, this passage doesn't necessarily have to do with the present government at that time. That's number one. It's principles being laid down. And another thing is, to a great extent, at the time this was written, Rome was protecting the Christians. If you look in the book of Acts, you see there that it's the Jews that are always attacking the Christians and the Roman government is defending them against the attacks of the Jews. So anyway, there's a point. There's a point where there's a limit to government authority. And so we have to see that that point does come along. Then we go on here, verse 6. For this cause pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. And so here we have that we should pay taxes. And that's a principle that's given. It was mentioned in Sunday school. The Sunday school uh, leads in very well today to what we're talking about here. And, you know, it was talked about in Sunday school that when it was time for Jesus to pay a tax, he got the fish, opened up the fish, there was the coin. Well, of course, it was asked, how did he know that the coin was in there? 
Well, I would say he put the coin there. So that's how he knew where it was. And so we have, the thing is, is that Jesus paid taxes. And we should pay taxes. But does that mean that we should pay everything the government decides to demand? And I think that's where the rub comes in. And you know, there's totalitarianism and there's a republican form of government under law like we have in the United States with representatives. And that's based upon the Presbyterian form of government. But you have totalitarianism, communism, socialism, Nazism. You know, a lot of times they like to draw their political spectrum and they have communism on one side, Nazism, uh, national socialism, Nazis on the other end. They are on each end. They're both together. They're different types of totalitarianism. They're both together. But on the other hand, we have democracy and Republican government. And so, under communism, totalitarian government, you just do what the government says, and the government has total power, total power over us and over you. And if they demand 100% taxes, you've got to give 100% taxes. But that's not how it is uh, with a free government, with limits to government. How much taxes do we pay today? It's been estimated that if you take into consideration all of the different excise taxes, all of the hidden taxes, all of the taxes on gasoline, all these different taxes, you pay close to 50% here in the United States right now. And that's oppressive. That's definitely oppressive. You know, and just compare it with the Bible. Back in the time of Saul, when Samuel was telling Israel that Saul, the king, will greatly oppress you, he will take how many percent? Saul was going to take 10%. That's what it says. Saul would greatly oppress you, the king will greatly oppress you, and he'll take 10%. Well, what do we got today? We've got oppression. And then, uh, back with Joseph in the land of Egypt in Genesis. Remember, the people sold all their lands and their goods uh, to get corn and to get something to eat. And then finally, the people sold themselves into slavery to the Pharaoh of Egypt. And the Pharaoh got a tax out of the slaves. And what was the tax of a slave back in Egypt? 20%. That was the tax of a slave. So what are we today? We're double slaves of the government. And you know, the government really doesn't have the right to demand that. Let's go back to Luke chapter 20, finally. Luke chapter 20, and see another scripture that sheds light on what we're talking about here. Luke chapter 20, and starting reading with verse 19. Luke chapter 20 and verse 19. And the chief priests and the scribes the same hour sought to lay hands on him, and they feared the people, for they perceived that he had spoken this parable against them. Remember back in Acts, they feared the people. Here they fear the people again with Jesus. 
that uh, the people were following Jesus, they were following the apostles in Acts. And then verse 20, And they watched him, and sent forth spies which should feign themselves just men, that they might take hold of his words, that so they might deliver him unto the power and the authority of the governor. And they asked him, saying, Master, we know that thou sayest and teachest rightly, neither acceptest thou the person of any, but teachest the way of God truly. Of course, they didn't believe any of that that they were saying there. They were flattering Jesus, and you always got to watch it when people flatter you. They want something. And, of course, one thing they might want is favor from you. But anyway, they flattered Jesus here. They thought that would get them somewhere with these spies. Of course, what is a spy? A spy pretends to be one thing, and he's something else. It's like uh, secret agents and spies today. Their whole lives are lies. It's uh, feigning one thing. Then we go on to the question, verse 22. Is it lawful for us to give tribute unto Caesar? So that was quite a question there. And verse 23, But he perceived their craftiness and said unto them, Why tempt ye me? That was a very crafty question they came up with because he was ruined if he said yes and he was ruined if he said no. If he said yes, give tribute to Caesar, the the tribute was very unpopular and the people would rise up against Jesus. And if he said no, don't give tribute, the government would be on his case and would arrest him or whatever teaching sedition. And so a very good question there. He perceived their craftiness. Verse 24, show me a penny. Whose image and superscription hath it? They answered and said, Caesar's. And he said unto them, render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. And they could not take hold of his words before the people, and they marveled at his answer and held their peace. Well, Jesus knew exactly how to answer them here. Took a coin, got Caesar's superscription on it, inscription, and that's who ought to get tribute. But you notice here, the verse here, render unto Caesar... And there's people that that run with that. And they say, don't you know you're supposed to render unto Caesar? Well, they forget the rest of it. It's render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And render unto God the things that are God's. And Caesar can demand things that are not Caesar's to demand. Caesar can demand that you not come to church, but that's not Caesar's to demand. Caesar can demand that you don't preach the gospel, but that's not Caesar's to demand. Render unto God the things that are God's. And there's a limit to render unto Caesar. There's a limit to what Caesar can demand. And so if Caesar wants 50% 
of our income, well, that's a little bit too much, really. And, you know, that's more than what he should demand, more than what he's entitled to. And so going back through the Bible, we have examples through the Bible where people rose up against the government. And the greatest example, I believe, is back in 2 Kings. And we're going to get to that one of these days in our study of 2 Kings. It's a little later on in the book of 2 Kings. But it's the account, and we're going to cover that later, but I'll just mention it now because it applies to what we're talking about. And that is when Joash was there. And Athaliah the queen, the wicked queen, had killed all of the seed royal. And Joash was hidden of Jehoiada the high priest. And Jehoiada hid Joash until he was, I think it was seven years old or six. And then all of a sudden Jehoiada brought out Joash to the people. And he got the priests there all together and they all had swords in their hands. And he declared that Joash was the king. And at that time, Athaliah had reigned over Israel for, for five or six years by that time. And yet Jehoiada engineered a rebellion, a revolution there, and put Joash on the throne, and God blessed that revolution. We're told that God blessed Jehoiada because of what he did. And then they buried Jehoiada later on among the kings because he had done good toward Israel. And what he had done was he had engineered that revolution in 2 Kings. Got rid of the wicked queen Athaliah and put the godly king Joash on the throne. At least he was godly during the time of Jehoiada. Well, we have other examples in the Bible where people disobeyed the government. We have the midwives in Egypt. Pharaoh told them to kill all the Hebrew men children. Did they obey Pharaoh? No, they didn't. And they didn't kill the men children. And then when Pharaoh demanded of them, they gave a real weird story about, oh, they're already delivered when we get there and we couldn't kill them. Of course, they don't know about the new laws in the U.S. where you can even kill children after they're delivered. Yeah, by the way, <clears throat> Ira has a good friend there in Smyrna near us, uh, and her husband has been working with this man who just had a baby, and the baby was born with her, with her esophagus and stomach not connected. And so they flew the baby down to Johns Hopkins, down here to Baltimore, and they got the baby all fixed up, and the baby's good now. And, but look at how much trouble they went to for a newborn baby. And they say today in some states and wherever, is you can kill them even after they're born. And so the midwives, were they ready to kill the babies? No, they weren't. They disobeyed the government. Well, then we go on through history. We have other examples in the Bible, but we won't give those now. But you go through church history. And you know, as I always tell you, I love history because history is how God has dealt with people in the past. And you can see how God dealt. Of course, in the Bible history, in 2 Kings, we have an inspired record, but we still have records of history today. 
how God has dealt. And you know the Puritans, they were purifying the Church of England. Well, they ended up having an English Civil War back in the 1600s. And Oliver Cromwell was the one who led the Puritans to victory. And he was a godly man, Oliver Cromwell. And in fact, he he basically, him and his men, they set up the system of representative government in the world. But anyway, that was back in the 1600s. But you know what was really important about Oliver Cromwell? One thing that was important was that he broke the power of the Roman Catholic Church. And the Catholics to this day hate Oliver Cromwell. And he broke the power of the Roman Catholic Church. But also, he broke the power of the king. And it very graphically broke the power of the king. They, they chopped the head off the king, Charles I. And, you know, people said, oh, don't you know the king is all-powerful? You can't disobey the king. You can't rebel against the king. You can't have civil war against the king. And... God forbid you can't chop the head off the king. But he chopped the head off the... He didn't do it, but all of the men with him and him. They chopped the head off the king because the king had made made war upon the people and brought about much suffering. And he had lied and stole and cheated and, and caused all kinds of death. And so finally they chopped off the power of the king. And that act was felt all through history. But Oliver Cromwell was a good Christian. They were good Christian Puritans, Presbyterians and others. But they saw that the king's power was limited. And all through history, the king had unlimited power. But finally, they decided that Charles I was not a minister of God to them for good, that they needed to rebel against him, and they needed to uh, finally punish him for his sin and sins against the people. Well, we come down to, through our history, we have the American Revolution. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But then we have the Civil War. And in the Civil War, if you look at the two sides, the South and the North, you notice a big difference between the Christianity of the two groups. And you notice that there was a lot more Christianity in the South than in the North. There were Christians in the North, and there were good people in the North, but the Christianity really comes out in the South. And you know, the, the, the South was, was known as a rebel cause, a rebel country. They were rebels. They were rebelling against the U.S. government. Well, you know, they were rebelling not to set up slavery, and not so much for slavery at all. They were rebelling because of states' rights. And just one of the states' rights was the state's right to proclaim slavery in that state. And of course, by the way, slavery was on its way out at that time. We didn't need a big war about it. They didn't have a big war in Brazil over slavery, but they got rid of it. But anyway, those good Christians in the Civil War on the side of the South, especially Stonewall Jackson, Robert E. Lee, and very good Christians, how could they rebel against the U.S. federal government? Well, because they saw that government authority is limited. And there comes a time when it is no longer a minister of God to you for good. And you know, 
the South lost the war, and what did they lose also? They lost the, the fight for states' rights. And up to this day, when there's a conflict between the federal government and the state government in the United States, it's brought up the fact that that issue was settled back in the Civil War. And now we have all-powerful federal government ruling over the states. The states still have a few rights, and back with, and with this Roe versus Wade, the states are getting back a few of their rights. But still, how could Christians rebel against their government? And then you go back to the American Revolution, and it's really interesting this morning that Tim starts talking about John Witherspoon. I was going to bring up, just for a couple of examples, John Witherspoon, a godly man that rebelled against the government. And he was a Presbyterian pastor. He was the head of the College of New Jersey, which later became Princeton. And he went on to become moderator of the General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church in the United States. And he was a great godly man. He had a love of liberty and a love of order. He was the only clergyman to sign the Declaration of Independence, John Witherspoon. And you know, he, he eschewed, if you will, the, the, the King James word, he eschewed the French Revolution. <clears throat> and you know, there was a big difference between the American Revolution and the French Revolution. And they were about the same time. The American Revolution was in 1776. The French Revolution was in 1789. But what happened with the French Revolution? It was chaos. And they had that guillotine going 24 hours a day there in Paris. And they were chopping the heads off of priests. They were chopping the heads off of anybody they could think of. And, you know, it's, uh, he didn't want the American Revolution to be like the French Revolution. He wanted it with a rule of law and order. And John Witherspoon said, true religion and civil liberty is inseparable. Inseparable. And, you know, a lot of his graduates from his College of New Jersey went on to sign the Constitution, to be president, to be a congressman, senators, uh, justices of the Supreme Courts. But anyway, it says here in this write-up of John Witherspoon, <clears throat> he believed that God had ordained government, but also limited the authority and function of government. Government which exceeds its authority and becomes tyrannical must be resisted, is what he said. When they become tyrannical and they exceed their authority, Limited government was based on his concept of human depravity. And you know what John Witherspoon knew, and others knew, is that man is depraved with a depraved heart, and government must be limited because we have people with depraved hearts that become over the government. And so... The British didn't like John Witherspoon very well. There was this, the account of the British guy who told about how he named his dog Witherspoon to uh, throw out the name of Witherspoon. And then another guy that Tim mentioned this morning was John Jay. John Jay was a great Christian. He was president of the Second Continental Congress. He was involved in the fight for liberty. 
He said that when America's grievances continually were rebuffed and when American blood began to be shed, he cast his family fortunes behind the cause of independence. He was reluctant at first, but then he saw that the government had completely ceased to be a minister of God to them for good. He went on to become chief justice, the first chief justice of the Supreme Court. And he also became the first vice president of the American Bible Society. And so he was a good Christian, came from Huguenot roots, John Jay, and he saw that government is liberty. And so we have all these great examples of the past. And they were Christians, good Christians. They resisted their government. And they saw the definition of good government that we have in Romans chapter 13. That it is a minister of God to us for good. It should be a minister of God to us for good. It should, but when the government reverses the two, it is a minister of God to us for evil and punishes the good, well, something can be done about that with a clear conscience before God. And that's what our forefathers did with the American Revolution. Well, let's remember the scripture of Luke here. Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, but unto God the things that are God's. Let's bow in prayer. O Lord, just bless these things to our hearts. Help us to have the right ideas of our relationship to our government. And O Lord, we thank thee that thou hast instituted government uh, for order among men. In Jesus' name, amen.